That's Enough Out of You podcast is sponsored by Todd John's Law. Unfortunately, bad things happen to good people, whether it's the result of an auto accident caused by the carelessness of another driver or being charged with a crime. Dealing with the aftermath of a personal injury accident or being involved with the criminal justice system can be extremely difficult. That's why, whatever you're facing, you should never go it alone. You need an experienced attorney who will stand by you every step of the way. Todd is experienced, licensed, trusted, respected, and guaranteed. No one will work harder or more diligently on your behalf, and he will personally handle your case from beginning to end. Located on Drinker Street in Dunmore, Pennsylvania, Todd has been representing the legal rights of Scranton and Wilkesbury personal injury victims and those accused of a crime for over 20 years. At Todd John's Law, the utmost priority is ensuring that your rights are always protected and that your case is resolved as quickly and fairly as possible so that you can move on with your life. Call Todd John's Law at 570-876-6903. With Todd John's Law, you will receive equal justice under the law. All right. Hello. Welcome to That's Enough Out of You. I am your main host, Bill Rader. And joining me, as always is the other host of the program, Sean Kane. Sean, what's up? Billy Raids. How you doing there, main man? Doing good. Doing good. Main host, that is. <laughs> you love that <laughs> title, buddy. I know. I do. That's, I don't, I have Great so, title, pal. I have so little in life. I, I, need, uh, I need something like that. All right. You're like um, Billy. You're like Kevin Nash over there, buddy. The big man, and I'm the medium-sized man over here. Scott Hall, buddy. Oh no, no, you're the you're the. Big <laughs> uh, so what? Uh, what, what's going on today? What's what's uh, what do we want to get into? What do we want to talk about? Well, before we get in our big topic here, Billy, because we got a big one today, pal. Um, you know, I just want to you know reach out to our listeners. You know, um, if if you love the podcast, you you know you want us to continue. Uh, we could use some help, you know, we're, we're on Patreon. Uh, we got a bookshop, uh, merchandise store. I mean, it just anything helps us, uh, buying a hat, buying a cup, um, buying a book on our site. I mean, and that's gotta be clear, Bill, you gotta buy the book off our book club, right? For, you know, for this to work, you can't go to Amazon or, you know, Bezos has enough money, Billy. Right. You yeah, know, the- so. You know, and, and the other thing is we're we're looking to add some sponsors, you know, so anybody has a has a business and it could be local or it, you know, our reach is is pretty far, so it doesn't have to strictly be local. Um, so we're looking at a sponsor and advertising and anybody interested, um reach out to me and or Bill and we'll give you the specifics. Um but yeah, Bill, we're looking, you know, we just need a little bit of help to get where we want to go, Billy. In uh, 2024, buddy, we got some big ideas, uh, but we need some help from our listeners. Yeah, I, I think there's a misconception out there, Sean, that uh, people who do podcasts actually make money from them. Um, that's that's not the case. No, <laughs> you know, and and in order for us to, you know, just to keep this thing going, um, you know, we could definitely use the help from our listeners. I mean, this is a free, it's a free show. We're not charging anything. Right. Uh, You know, we, we have, we have our Patreon set up if you do want to contribute, but otherwise, you know, we're just giving, we're giving this away and, and it's, it's it's, a lot of work, Billy. We put in a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of networking to get the guests that we get. And if people, you know, people can't afford to to give anything, you know, if a dollar is, is too much, I mean, there's other ways you can help us. I mean, really, there, you know, like just right. sharing this podcast on social media helps us. Going to the YouTube channel and just logging into your email and hitting subscribe, which literally will take you 30 seconds and cost you nothing, it helps us, right. you know. So people could just take the time if you're already listening to this, you know, just there's a lot of things you could do to help us out, and, and we really appreciate it. Absolutely. And we do, we appreciate our patrons that we have uh, and Definitely. all of our, our, our listeners, 
our regular listeners, our subscribers. And, and if you are listening to this program, no, no matter where you're listening to it, whether it's YouTube or on podcast uh, or both, if you could just take that time and hit the subscribe button on, on YouTube or, you know, follow us on, on your podcast, uh, podcast platform, whatever you listen to Spotify or Apple or, you know, Amazon, whatever it just hit that, you know, hit that button to, to follow us. And that helps us because, you know, then, then these, uh, these distribution platforms see that we have, uh, you know, we have regular listeners, we have followers and, and it just, it helps us. It, it brings us up in the, you know, in, in the algorithm when people are searching for, you know, for shows that right. you know, promote us a little bit more. So that's, that's really what we're looking for just to get more ears and eyes on, on the show. And uh, you guys can help us and we, we certainly would appreciate it. And even write a review on Apple. You know, Absolutely. that helps us out. Yeah. Just uh, make them good. That's all we ask. Well, we got a lot of good ones there, Billy. One bad one, and the rest are all good that's on oh. there. All right. So we have that going on. Um, and as Sean said, uh, you know, you can sponsor us. We have we have our, our official sponsor, which is Todd John's Law. We appreciate Todd. And, um, you know, and and uh, we do have some more sponsors, we we think, um, that will be joining us uh, pretty soon. So we're, we're excited about that. So you'll be hearing more commercials, uh, more ads on the show, but, uh, you know, there are, there are pay the bills, buddy. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, again, these things aren't, you know, we're not making any money We're we're, we have to, you know, we pay for our zoom. We pay to, to distribute the, the, the podcast site. Yeah. Cost, the cost, yep. you know, and, and one last thing, Billy, you know, anybody goes to our website, you can basically find everything on our website, all our social media links, the bookstore, um, Patreon, um, all back episodes um, on every application except YouTube. They're all on the, the website. So anything you want to find, you can go there on our website. John, anything else we want to, anything else you want to talk about before we get into our topic? No, I'm good, buddy. How about you? All right. No, let's get going. All right. So tonight, Billy, we got a huge topic, buddy, and it's, it's Whitey Bulger. Now we talked about Whitey in the past. So somebody wants to, if you're looking for a backstory on Whitey and how he came to power, um, you could go back in one of our episodes that we did on the IRA and we kind of tied in the Whitey Bulger's gang, the Winter Hill gang. And when we put out a whole history of that, uh, so you could go back and, and find that episode. It's one of our earlier ones, but tonight, Billy, we're going to, we're going to do, uh, the topic's going to be on a lot of research that I've been doing. Um, this is my own personal theory, Billy, but I have, my theory is that Whitey Bulger was not an FBI informant. Whitey Bulger was protected by the FBI. There's no doubt about that. I mean, they, they literally helped him get away with murder. Um, that's, you know, there's FBI and just sitting in jail that could, you know, is the proof for that. Right. But, when I go through the files and I look through all the, you know, the informant files and everything, there's nothing that Whitey Bulger gave that would convict anybody. So a lot of red flags are raised when I'm going through these and I'm thinking, why would they protect this guy for 30 years? And he's basically giving them nothing. And all the information's flowing from the FBI to Whitey, not the other way around. And the other person we're going to talk about tonight, Billy, because he ties into this, is Raymond Patriarcha Sr. And Raymond Patriarcha Sr. was the boss of the New England Cosa Nostra family, which was based in Providence, Rhode Island. And he was the, the number one um, Cosa Nostra figure in New England. Okay, now, think about this, Billy. And this is what raised the red flag for me. At some point after Jagger Hoover... The FBI, which, the you know, the Justice Department had a lot of uh, people that were left over from Bobby Kennedy, and they they wanted to target the mafia like he, like he was. And the FBI, after Hoover, went on a, a hunt, and they went after Cosa Nostra, and they made the Italian mafia, Cosa Nostra, the number one target of the FBI. So all the other ethnic groups, including the Winter Hill Gang in Boston, which is mostly Irish, um, in the Jewish mafia and stuff, they they kind of took a backseat to to everything. Cosa Nostra was number 
one, public enemy number one for the FBI. And you know this, Billy, they broke up, you know, in New York, they would have task force for each family, the five families. They would have the Gambino task force, the Bonanno, and they would do this throughout the United States. Jersey would have their own, Los Angeles, you know, every family would would have an FBI unit targeting right. them. Yep. Now in New England, Billy, the patriarch of families, the most powerful Cosa Nostra family in New England. And Raymond Patriarch, a senior, was the number one figure in New England Cosa Nostra organized crime. So if you're the FBI, he is your number one target. And here you have Whitey Bulger as your, you're saying your informant, okay? And the thing is, Raymond Patriarcha Sr. and Whitey Bulger were so close. They were partners, Billy. And they were they were very, very close. So you would think that the FBI files would be riddled with information from Bulger on Patriarcha, would you not? Yeah, you would think so. There is not one piece of information, Billy, that Whitey Bulger ever gave up on Raymond Patriarcha Sr. Yeah. In fact, the FBI, including John Conley, who was Whitey's handler, who's sitting in prison, um, he went out of his way, and, and the FBI did as well as a whole, to downplay the relationship between Patriarcha and Bulger. They said that they weren't that close. And if you look at the other law enforcement agencies that were targeting both figures, meaning, you know, Rhode Island law enforcement and the Massachusetts uh, State Police Task Force that had a Bulger task force, their information, they had a mountain of information on the, the close relationship between Patriarcha and Bulger. So the FBI is clearly covering that up and downplaying their relationship. So that bill was a huge, huge red flag for me because I'm thinking, why in the world they they their number one target is Patriarch and here they have an informant sitting right next to him. Mm -hmm. They should be taking them down, but they're not getting any information on them from Bulger. So that's where, you know, the red flag started to really sink into me, Bill. So just think about it, Bill. I mean, there what possible reason would they have to downplay the relationship when you know, the FBI is clearly targeting Cosa Nostra. I mean, that's your number one target. Um, and Patriarch is the boss of the, the largest uh, Cosa Nostra family in New England. So what are you suggesting? What I'm suggesting, Billy, is that Whitey Bulger was not protected because he was an FBI informant. Whitey Bulger was protected because he was the government's created mob boss. And it goes back to Whitey Bulger's participation in the MK Ultra mind control experiments when he was in Alcatraz prison. And we're going to get into that a lot tonight, Billy. And they used Whitey Bulger as an asset, kind of like they used Traficante and Roselli. And um, he would do he would do hits for them. We're going to discuss some hits. And remember, Billy, Whitey Bulger, first of all, his brother was the state Senate president, one of the most powerful state politician in Massachusetts. Yeah. He had a lot of powerful friends. Whitey Bulger had ties to the Irish Republican army. So he had an international reach. He also had ties to the Montreal uh, up in Canada, the West end gang, which is basically the Irish mob in Canada. So Whitey Bulger had a lot of international reach. He, he would be a very valuable asset to the government uh, like a Johnny Roselli. He, he was kind of like a, 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 a for lack of a better term, he's kind of like, you know, like uh, red on blacklist, like a kind of an ambassador to organized crime. Like he has so many different outlets he could reach and, and it's useful to the government. So when I look at his file and I see no information coming from Bulger to the FBI that, that would convict anybody, this is the reason why I think they protected him. And I think he was there and, and there's no doubt they helped him stay on the street. They helped him become the boss and they, they helped him become the number one crime figure in new England. There's no doubt about that, Billy. I yeah. mean, they were tipping him off on people that were informing on him to other uh, law enforcement organizations. Like, um, you know, the Massachusetts state police was after Bulger for 30 years, you know, they were after him and, and they had a lot of good cases that were ruined by the FBI. 
that they would step in and they would crush and, and keep Bulger on the streets. Um, so there's no doubt they protected him. And then when you look at the, the lack of information, I mean, why would you protect a guy who's basically giving you nothing unless he's doing other things for you? And that's my theory, Belly. Yeah. So let's get into it, buddy. So you have to you have to look at the relationship between Patriarch and Bulger because there's no doubt they were they were really close. In fact, when if you go back to our last episode on Bulger and he, we talked about the meeting where there was a gang war and Bulger went to that sit down with with Howie Winter who was the boss of the Winter Hill gang and basically Howie Winter makes him the captain uh, for lack of a better term of of Southie and um it was Patriarchus sent one of his own associates, J.R. Russo, um, to talk to Howie Winter and to push for his support to help Whitey Bulger. So that's how close they were. And in fact, Billy, I'm going to tell a story about, and this is from the, the state police files that they had from an informant. But Patriarcha doesn't get a lot of credit, Billy, as far as being a powerful boss. But he was kind of a poor man's Russell Buffalino. Not quite as powerful as Buffalino, but very, very powerful. And he had connections to, to other Coles and Oster families throughout the United States. And they would look to him, you know, to settle disputes between rival families and stuff because he was that respected. So there's a story that Bulger and Patriarcha were meeting in a, in a it was a church basement, Billy, in, in Rhode Island. And Patriarcha had two... Um, of his associates and they were brothers and he found out that the one brother was was an informant he was a foreman to the to the Rhode Island law enforcement so he ordered the other brother to beat a confession out of out of his own brother Billy so picture this scene Billy they're in the basement of a church and one brother is literally uh beating the other brother to a pulp with his bare hands and Patriarch and Bulger over on the stove cooking sausages, or I'm sorry, cooking pork chops. And they're cooking pork chops, and he's over there, and Patriarch is basically asking Bulger, you know, Jimmy, how you like your pork chops? You like them, you know, you like fried onions with them? And here's one brother beating his own brother to death to beat a confession on him. That's how vicious Patriarch and Bulger were and how close they were, Billy. Yeah. You know, and and there's – Another interesting thing from law enforcement that they they label law enforcement labeled this called discipline randomness, which is how they said Bulger and Patriarcha would meet each other because um, they knew they were going to be photographed. They knew even though Bulger knew the FBI was protecting them, he knew Massachusetts State Police was after him. He knew Rhode Island law enforcement was after uh, both of them, and they didn't want to be seen in public together. So what they would do is when they would meet in Rhode Island or they would meet in Castle Island in South Boston, um, what they would do is they would they would pump the whole scene there with people from the neighborhood. So they would have, you know, the local barber would be there, local restaurant owner, and there would be all kind of people there. And, and of course, law enforcement is there taking pictures and, and trying to figure out who's who. And Bulger would be sitting on a park bench and he'd be talking to somebody and then he'd get up right in the middle of the conversation, move over and he talked to somebody else that's sitting on another bench. In the meantime, Patriarch would be over on a boat. He'd be talking to somebody. Then he'd move to another location, right in the middle of a conversation, talk to somebody. At some point, messages were being a transfer back and forth between Bulger and Patriarch. But law enforcement couldn't figure out who was sending the messages, You know who was who, who's actually just a, a, a citizen, who's a made guy. Like They had law enforcement so confused um, and this is the relationship that they had, Billy, a very close relationship. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and so I'm just setting this up, Billy. So that, that's the power that, that Patriarcha has. So I want people to understand, you know, this was a very powerful figure. And he was he was the number one target of the FBI, yet they didn't use what they claimed as their resource to take him out. And, and it doesn't that doesn't make any sense to me. And. You know, um, Billy Bulger, uh, Whitey's brother, was very powerful. The, the state said it. And, Billy, there's a clip on YouTube. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but uh, Billy Bulger used to have these political uh, St. Patrick's Day dinners. 
And he would, every politician would be there from all over the country, not just uh, New England. And they would all go there and, and pay respects to Billy. And Whitey and his right hand, Stephen the Rifle McFleming, would be sitting in the front row at a lot of these dinners. Wow. Um, yeah, they're sitting right there with all these politicians. But there was a dinner, it was um, 1988, okay? And George Bush was the vice president. And he was running, he was getting ready to run against Dukakis. Now, Bush was very close with Bulger. And you could get this on YouTube, unless they took it down. But I think I sent you this, Billy, a while ago. But anyway, George Bush calls in to this dinner. And he calls it, he talks to, to Billy Bulger. And these guys are making jokes about Iran-Contra. And, and Bush is saying something, well, we might need your help to, to write a bill and we're going to send a bunch of weapons to Iran. And he's making a joke about it, Bill. <laughs> and this is right on the dinner. There's cameras there. There's people audioing it. Um, you know, and, and these guys are laughing about it, making a joke. But it shows you the respect and the power that, that Billy Bulger had, you know, outside of New England. Right, yeah. You know, right up to the White House. You know, so that's another reason why I think that the government, um, you know, he would be a valuable person to the to the government um, because of his, his connections. I mean, his international connections, his connections with his brother. Um, but before we get into the MK Ultra stuff, Billy, anything you want to ask about? Well, let me let me ask you this. Who was Kevin Weeks? Kevin Weeks is basically like Bulger. He would be like Bulger's one of his. Well, Stephen Wright from Fleming was his right right hand, but Kevin Weeks would be like almost like a son to Whitey Bulger. He was one of his guys that that he brought along um, right from when he was a, a kid, uh, seventeen, eighteen years old. He started working for Whitey, and he was like his his main enforcer, and he okay. was very close to Whitey. Okay. And he's going to tie into some of these things that we're going to talk about. Um, and in fact, you know what, Billy, let's get into, before we get into the MK Ultra stuff, I want well, to get into, go ahead, Billy. Yeah, no, because there's a quote from him that I wanted to. Go ahead. All right. So the, the quote is, uh, and this says, according to Weeks, uh, Connolly kept telling me that 90% of the information in the files came from Stevie, who's. Stephen, the rifleman, Fleming, right? Right. Um, but Connolly told me he had to put Jimmy's name on the files to keep his file active. Right. As long as Jimmy was an active informant, Connolly said he could justify meeting with Jimmy and giving him right. valuable information. Even after he retired, yes. Connolly still had friends in the FBI, and he and Jimmy kept meeting to let each other know what was going on. I could see that a lot of the reports were not just against the Italians. There were more and more names of Polish and Irish guys, of people we had done business with, of friends of mine. I would see over and over again that some of these people had been arrested for crimes that were mentioned in these reports. It had been bullshit when Connolly told me that the files hadn't been disseminated, uh, that they had been for his own personal use. If there was some investigation going on and the supervisor said, let me let me take a look at that, what was Connolly going to do? He had to give it up, and he obviously had. Well, here's here's what Connolly was doing, Bill, in my opinion. He was cooking the books. Mm -hmm. I think Stephen the from Flemmy was giving up information. I think Flemmy was an informant. I think Flemmy was giving up information on – not, people in Winter Hill, I believe, and people, of course, in Cosa Nostra and the Italian Mafia. But what Conley would do is he would attribute some of that information that he already got from Fleming and put Bulger's name down to it, like you said before, to just continue him, like to right. present him to a supervisor as somebody has given valuable information. So when the information think, is actually coming from Fleming, not from Bulger. Do you think that Fleming? knew that Bulger was an informant and that Bulger knew that Fleming was an informant. Oh, they both. Yeah. They, they knew that they, they, they sat down together with the FBI. They knew, but I don't think this is what I, I don't think that Bulger knew what Fleming was actually given information. I don't think he knew that. No. Um, so I, so mean, I think, I think they were using Fleming as a source. And I think Billy, I think that 
they actually may have blackmailed Bulger into helping him even more because I think they may have been threatening to use Flemmy as a witness against Bulger. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. And I believe that, Billy. That's why I think, and I'll listen, I don't want people, hold on. Go ahead. What? Blackmailing him into doing what, though? Well, Billy, they were using him as an asset, and they were using him to do different things. And I'm going to get into a particular hit that I'm going to tell the story about. I'm going to go through this whole hit right now. But I want to make something clear. Like, I'm not sticking up for Whitey Bulger. Whitey Bulger was a killer. Right. Killed a lot of people. He destroyed a lot of families up there. He was shaking down drug dealers. I mean, they... He, he made a mess up there and corrupted this, the entire system up there. So I'm not sitting here defending Whitey Bulger. I'm telling you from, from my research, I don't see him as an informant. Now, did he give up? Maybe, maybe Weeks is talking about some low-level guy that they gave up. I don't know, Billy. Maybe there was some low. But again, you're talking about a guy who's protected for 30 years, and you're letting him get away with murder. I mean, to me... He better be giving up John Gotti. He better be giving up Patriarcha. He better be giving up Big right. Fish, not not some little guy that's a street corner dealer. Well, the quote from Weeks, what that says is that Flemmy was giving up the information, but Connolly was attributing it to, to Whitey. Right, and that's so why I said that he was, No, you were right, and I think he was cooking the books. Like, he right. would say, yeah. but the thing is with Connolly, with his cooking the books is he he never took Fleming's name off it so so if you really do the deep dive into the research into the files you'll see that like let's say Fleming gave up a low-level street dealer then later on uh, Conley would put Bulger's name to that as well he'd add Bulger into that but Con- but Fleming already gave him up now if yeah. Conley would did it right he would have took Fleming's name completely off it and gave all the credit to Bulger for that. But like I said, I think he was just, you know, stringing this along, putting Bulger's name into it. Um, and and I don't think Bulger was giving up any. I mean, like I said, maybe there's some low-level fish, but again, that doesn't justify protecting somebody for 30 years and letting them get away with murders. And I'm not talking about one or two murders. I'm talking about, you know, I think they, what did they dig up, Bill? Like, uh, 19 bodies they found in the grave sites and there was a lot more hits attributed oh, yeah. to Bulger. I mean, right. nobody's ever really put an accurate count on how many people he, he killed or ordered killed. Yeah. So let's get into, this is one of the hits, Bill, that to me, it doesn't look like an organized crime hit. It looks more like a deep state hit. It's an intelligence hit. And that would be the hit on Roger Wheeler. And we talked about this with, with uh, Bruce Torres, and I didn't really get to say all I wanted to because I want to make it clear that I don't think Roger Wheeler was involved in any shady business. I think Roger Wheeler was a powerful billionaire businessman in Oklahoma. But he was a, on the up and up. He was a straight and narrow guy. I mean, he did a lot of stuff helping people with charities, and he was a family man. And I don't want to, you know, disparage his name because I don't think he he was dirty at all. But he did associate with people, powerful people, Bill, that would later be involved in Iran-Contra. And he used to be very close. He used to golf with Ronald Reagan when he was president. That's how powerful this guy was. And he had bodyguards. His bodyguards, Bill, were a lot of ex-FBI agents, including a guy by the name of Rico uh Paul Rico, I believe his name was. He was from Boston. And it's gonna tie and in. Wheeler to... was from Boston. Originally. No, Roger yeah. Wheeler was from Oklahoma. But he was born in Boston. Are you sure? Uh, that's according to Wikipedia. I don't know about that. I don't know if I I uh if he if he was, I don't think he stayed there very long, Billy. Well it said he graduated he... high school from, from Reading High School in Reading, Massachusetts. All right. Well, I, I, I know I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that, that he, but I know he lived in Oklahoma for a long time though. And that's yeah. where his, his power base was out there. Um, but, but anyway, um, he was a powerful businessman, powerful businessman. And he had a lot of powerful friends and he, he owned this company called world highlight and it was like a legal gaming company. Okay. And, 
they had a guy by the name of John Callahan, and he was an accountant from Boston, and he worked in their, you know, he was one of their executives, and they were skimming money and kicking back to Winter Hill. So, you know, there's no doubt that Bulger did have a tie to, to his company. But here's the interesting thing, Billy. So what happens is at some point, Bulger orders the hit on Roger Wheeler. Okay. Now he he gives it to um one of their uh soldiers, a guy by the name of Brian Halloran, the original contract. And then later on, Bulger thinks about it and he has a conversation with Kevin Weeks, and this is important. And he says to Weeks, I'm gonna call off the hit on on Wheeler. I don't, you know, I don't feel like he Bulger was nervous about you know exposing their operations going all the way to Oklahoma to do a hit. So he called, he called off the hit. Then later on, after Wheeler gets murdered, uh, Weeks talked about a conversation he had with Bulger after the fact. And he basically said to my, I thought we weren't going to whack this guy. And Bulger said something to the effect that I really didn't have a choice, which is a very interesting thing for Whitey Bulger to say, Billy, because mm. This is the most power at this point, Billy. Patriarch is on his way to jail. The the Italian mafia in, in New England is on its way out. They're they're really, you know, they're they're hurting. Winter Hill, all the Bulger's um competition is is in jail. Whitey Bulger at this point is the most powerful organized crime figure in New England. There's no doubt about that. And yet he said he had no choice. So to me, there's only one entity that would have been putting pressure on Whitey Bulger, and that would have been the government. Because who else is going to be in the position to tell tell Bulger they have to take this guy out? Yeah. So then the way the way that he was taken out, Roger Wheeler, it's it just it it stinks of a of an Intel lot bill. So what happens is two two Winter Hill soldiers, Johnny Mortarano and um Joe McDonald, go out to Oklahoma and they have this they have this whole arrangement where the guns were flowing in, in in pieces, and then assembled while while they they after they got to Oklahoma, and they would use all these elaborate disguises, wigs and stuff, and they were given a layout of Roger Wheeler's um, country club by the guy Rico, the the former FBI guy that was Wheeler's bodyguard. So Wheeler pulls up, and he. Uh, he pulls up to his country club and Martirano gets out and he's in the disguise and he walks up and he shoots him point blank. And they had in the movie Black Mass, Billy, if you remember, the kids were swimming in the pool. Right. And he gets whacked right in the car there. Yeah. yeah. So what happens next is there's a there's a local law enforcement detective by the name of Mike Huff in Oklahoma, and he gets on a case. And right away, you know, he's seeing all these links leading back to Boston and back to Whitey Bulger. So he starts this investigation and he was blocked. And this is his own, his own words, Billy. He was blocked at every turn by the FBI. They, they destroyed his investigation. They, they blocked every Avenue leading back to Boston. And so he keeps at it. He keeps investigating it. In the meantime, what happened is, um, he finds out that Brian Halloran was offered this contract because remember I said Whitey went to him first, mm -hmm. uh, the Winter Hill soldier. So they're trying to locate Halloran to to find out. Now he's working with Massachusetts State Police, Billy, because they're not they 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 know something stinks to high heaven in the FBI, and they're they're trying to track this down and help find out what the heck happened to Roger Wheeler. So they're trying to find Halloran. So they get him, they bring him in, and Halloran starts talking, Billy. And he starts telling them that basically Bulger, you know, um, was was ordering to hit on this. And then he called it off. So the next thing you know, and you could probably guess what happens, Billy, Halloran, Halloran leaves, and he's, he's uh, coming out of a bar that night in Boston, and mm -hmm. he gets gunned down with a machine gun. Three guys yeah. gun him down. And that was in the movie Black Mass, too. Right. So now the investigation, you know, is is 
you know, on, on a high wire here. So the other missing link that they, they go to is this guy, John Callahan. Okay. Who's, who's the, the, the accountant that was uh, the executive that was tied to Wheeler. So they try to track Callahan down and try to bring him in. And they find out that he was last seen in Miami. So they reach out to Miami law enforcement and the, the FBI down there is blocking them at every level. So they're trying to go around the FBI and they're trying to deal with local law enforcement in Miami. Okay. And what happens is they didn't get there in time because uh, Bulger was informed where Callahan was. He sent Johnny Martirano down there and Martirano shoots Callahan and, and leaves him in the back of a trunk. So you see what happens here is you had a you had a solid investigation by this this really good detective Wheeler. He's working with other law enforcement agencies in different states, working together, and the FBI is squashing their investigation at every turn. And Bulger is one step ahead of them. And how do you think that is? It's because we know now because Conley's sitting in jail because of it. Conley's yeah. giving him the information and right, telling him yeah. he's keeping him one step ahead of the investigation. Right. So that's just one hit, Billy, that to me looks like more than, you know, and then you find out that that Wheeler could have possibly been a possible whistleblower because of what he knew uh, from people that were involved in Iran-Contra. And that's an angle that you have to look down and you have to look at that as a possibility because, again, Walter didn't want to do this hit, but he ended up doing it anyway. And yeah. and you see you see other hits you know there was there was there was a couple women that were whacked there was um, a couple hits that were done in Canada you know there's other other stuff that was done you know with the IRA and and it just looks like to me it just looks like you know Bulger's doing things a little bit outside of the realm of of just strictly organized crime you know what I'm saying right so but eventually Bulger was charged with with Wheeler's murder he was. Well, there, Bill, there's no doubt. I'm not saying Whitey Bulger didn't order the hit. There's no doubt. I mean, I have no doubt Whitey Bulger ordered the hit. Right. I have no doubt. I mean, his guys, I mean, Johnny Mortarano, I believe he confessed to pulling the trigger. And Joel McDonald was the driver. Yeah. He was the he was the he was driving the the getaway car. So there's no doubt that those two guys worked for Bulger. I mean, he he ordered him to do it. I'm not yep. saying that. There's no right. doubt about that. Right. So let, let me ask you this. When was Connolly uh when 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 was the, the jig up with him? Like when did they start investigating oh, him? He retired, he retired in um in the 90s. He retired Bulger, the first time Bulger went on a lamb was 95. Mm -hmm. And he retired Connolly retired about 91, maybe somewhere around there. But like you mentioned earlier, he was still giving information to Bulger. Right. Um but it wasn't until it was the 2000s, Billy, yeah, um, that they found after they found the bodies, they dug up the two grave sites up in Boston and they found all these bodies and they were tied, you know, tied to, to hits that Bulger, some he did himself, some he ordered. And then it was shortly after that, that that um, a guy by the name of Fred Weishak, um took over as the attorney up there, um, the prosecutor. And he he looked around when he got there, Bill, because he came from New York and he was attacking organized crime figures in New York. And then when he came to Boston, he's looking around and he said, the only organized crime here is Whitey Bulger. Yeah. I mean, he's the only game in town and nobody's going after him. So White Shack went after him and he went after Conley and them. Yeah. And, and you know, the FBI agents, Morris and uh, the ones that were protecting Bulger. And Bulger also had guys in the state police on his payroll. You know, he had guys in the Boston PD on his payroll. I mean, Bulger was was everywhere. He ran that town, Billy. So, um, well, the reason I'm asking, Sean, is because Bulger wasn't charged until 2001 with Wheeler's murder. So, 20 years after the fact. Oh so yeah. That, well, well, that, Bill. He what was he originally? Well, he wasn't charged, Bill, until. Um, yeah, because a lot of those charges came after the, after they got the they dug up the bodies. Now Wheeler, I don't know. Like I said, Bill, I don't know. The FBI tried to squash any investigation, so 
uh, why it took them so long, because he was originally charged in 95, correct? No. Uh, well, he went on the lamb in 95. What was that? That was racketeering charge. Yeah, that wasn't this. That wasn't this. See, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Connolly was probably blocking the investigation all that time. Well, right? yeah, I mean, there's no doubt he was, and he yeah. was keeping Bulger one step ahead. But right. I mean, Mike Huff, the detective, talks about this. He he talked about how he was blocked by the FBI, and and that in, includes Conley. But let's not think that that it ends at Conley, Billy. Like Conley kind of fell on the sword there, and took the blame as like a rogue FBI agent. But this was years and years. This goes above Conley, yeah, um, because you're talking about thirty years protection for for a mass murder, Billy. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt Conley was blocking that investigation. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. But but it wasn't just him at the FBI. And and the thing is, it wasted so many, you know, uh, tax dollars and so many good hard work by these detectives uh, that were really working, you know, interagencies and working really good investigations together. You know, you talk about a detective in Oklahoma working with the Massachusetts State Police. That's a that's a really impressive thing, Billy. That they're working together, and then they they get together with my Miami law enforcement. And you get all these, you know, departments from different states working together. That's pretty mm-hmm. impressive because you yeah. know how egos could get in the way and it's hard to. But here comes the FBI and they just squashed it. They just blocked it at every every turn. Yeah. You know, and, and Roger Wheeler deserved justice and he didn't get it. No, not, not for years later. Yeah. So now I want to get into let's get into the MK Ultra stuff, Billy. So we know eventually Whitey Bulger would be convicted, okay? And then we know what happened. He gets transferred, and and they put him in general population, and he ends up getting killed. But what's happened uh, is a juror by the name of Janet Ular. I I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Billy. But she was one of the jurors that convicted uh, Bulger. And after the conviction... Um, she would uh, kind of uh, develop a, a relationship with Bulger through uh, letters, and she would write to him. And he started to tell her about how, you know, when, when he was arrested originally, um, the first time he went to Alcatraz, and at this point, you know, this is in the 60s, Bulger has no murders under his belt. He didn't kill anybody. He was arrested for bank robbery, and he was sent to Alcatraz. And he told her about being an unwitting participant in the CIA's MK Ultra uh, mind control experiment, and you know they they dressed it up as you know, I think it was uh, an experiment for schizophrenia or something like that. But what they were doing, Billy, is they were giving giving um, him LSD, and he would get a, a reduced sentence for being a participant in this government program. So. Anyway, Bulger starts talking to this this juror and starts telling him telling her about, you know, what this this MK Ultra experiment did to him when he was in Alcatraz. And he would develop massive, massive headaches that he suffered from the rest of his life. And he said, um, the headaches were so bad, sometimes they would they would knock him right down, like he'd have to he'd have to lay down. Um, they were so massive. And then he said, you know, the government uh, doctors would come in to see him and they would give him books, Billy, on Machiavelli and Sun Tzu, the art of war. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like, why would you give that to a guy like Bulger? Right. Stuff that's going to create, you're creating a mob boss. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and anyway, the juror says that after hearing all these stories about Bulger and, and how he would have these these hallucinations the rest of his life and he would have these, these uh, very violent dreams about killing people. Um, she said that she regrets that she convicted him. And none of this was brought out at his trial, Billy, by his lawyers, and they knew about it. So, again, do we see another situation there like we saw with Sirhan where who are these lawyers really working for? Because mm. why would you not at least try to bring this out at trial? Right. You know, and anyway... um, she says that, um, you know, he goes on and he tells her, he tells her all this stuff um, that, um, 
the hallucinations, they were so bad that Bulger could, he told her that he never got a good night's sleep. Like he could never get a seven, eight hour sleep. He could only sleep like an hour, two hours at a time. And then he'd wake up and, and, you know, he'd either have a massive headache or he had like a very violent dream. And, you know, he talked to her about the doctor's bill. When they would come in, they would ask her questions. They would ask Bulger questions like, um, you know, have you ever killed anybody? Have you ever talked about killing anybody? Have you ever thought about killing anybody? Like, why would you ask a guy like that? Like, what what are the government doctors doing here? Like, what are what are they trying to do here by giving this guy LSD? Giving him, you know, like again, this is the MK Ultra mind control. We talked about this with Lisa Peace, Bill. So we know what happens when Bulger gets out. This guy who, you know, he he was a comic criminal, kind of like Manson, right? But he wasn't this, you know, all-powerful mob boss that went on a mass murder spree. That didn't happen until he got out of Alcatraz. And he goes back to Boston, where he becomes protected by the FBI. And he goes on his, you know, and, and while he's in prison, you know, they're giving him books, you know, Sun Tzu, and stuff where he could plot on, you know, splitting your enemies, you know, taking over organized crime in New England when he gets out. And this is what we know happened because he ended up taking over organized crime in New England. So it's to me, it's just, you know, and I would love to to get that juror on our podcast, Billy. Oh, yeah. She That'd doesn't be- really do a lot of media. She's only yeah. done a few interviews and stuff. Um, but I've read, I've read the interviews, um, and it's really just amazing, buddy. You know, when you, when you hear, you know, and, and again, for her to say, if I knew this, I wouldn't have convicted him. I mean, that's a, that's a huge statement. See, I have a problem with that because it's not I didn't say I agree with it. I'm just saying what she said, but go ahead. Right. But no, I, I'm disagreeing with her because it's not like he didn't, he didn't, you know, actually take part in these crimes. Right. I mean, he still did. He did. Yes. Of whether or not he was, he was manipulated or, um, you know, I mean, it, it's still, it, it, he still participated in these crimes. And Sean, I think that's the other thing we, you know, we need to point out here. We're not excusing the behavior. No, no. And I said that earlier, but Bill, this is similar to Charles Manson. We're not, right. we never said Charles Manson was innocent. Right. But but I think we need to point out yeah, know, definitely. what what these what these programs did was right. take people who had the potential to be violent criminals and sort of unleash that. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and, and you know, um, and, and so it's not like, you know, these guys are were brainwashed and were programmed and, you know, were, were I mean, they still committed these crimes. It's just there's no doubt. Would they have been as violent? Would they have been, you know, this way if they hadn't gone through those, you know, that that uh, that program? And that's why I said with the Roger Wheeler hit, Bill, I'm not I'm you know, I think there's no doubt that Bulger ordered that hit. I'm not excusing him. I'm just saying, was he told to do it from from someone higher than him? And that would have been the government. Right. You know, and, and that's again, I'm not that's a theory, Bill. And I've. You know, when we speculate, we speculate. And again, this is this is a lot of theory and speculation. But when you look at the evidence, Billy, you have to show me like if you're protecting this guy for 30 years, you have to show me some other than a couple corner street dealers that that went to prison. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to you know, why was Raymond Patriarca not in these files? Why was Bulger given no? And why would the FBI downplay the relationship with them? You know, and in. The Roger Wheeler hit, you know, I mean, it just, it stinks to high heaven, Billy, the use of disguises and the right. way they ship the guns across the country. And just, you know, it's just, it's, it's stinks of an intelligence op, you know, and, and it, all this stuff, Billy. And it just, you know, when I look through these files and I just don't see anything, you know, and you got to remember Whitey did military service himself, Billy. He, he was in the air force. And of course he got in trouble there, but, Another thing, Billy, here, here's one thing. So then we know what happens after the trial. He's convicted. And then he's in solitary confinement. And then the government 
decides to to move him to general population. Okay, and they say that he was a threat. Now he's ninety years old. He's in a wheelchair. He can't even make a fist. He can't even get up on his own, walk around. So who's he a threat to, Billy? I mean, who? I I don't understand. You know, and they move him to general population, and they say, you know, they so these young guys, these three mafia guys from Springfield, Mass. Um, they end up killing him, beating him to death, right. you know, violent, violent death. Um, and they say because the reason they said is because he was an informant. But here's what they don't tell you, Billy, is there was a guy by the name that these guys were close to by the name of Richard Castucci. Okay. And Castucci was one of Bulger's murder victims. He was a gangster in, in Boston and Bulger had him killed. Um, so there was a revenge murder. They didn't kill him because he was an informant. They killed him because he killed their buddy. Okay. So the other question is, why in the world would you put a 90-year-old man in a wheelchair who can't protect himself in general population with his enemies who want him dead? Unless you want him dead. Right? It would seem that way. Yeah. I mean, and you said it before. Nobody's going to feel sorry for Whitey Bulger. I mean, you know, right. but I mean, again, I just have a problem with the way, you know, he was moved to general population. Yeah. And put in there. And again, we're not sticking up for him. We're not saying like, you look at his resume, you could put his resume right up there with Al Capone or any of the, the, the worst gangsters in U.S. history. Right. I mean, he's killed a lot of people. He's destroyed a lot of lives, a lot of families. There's no doubt about that. Nobody's, nobody's sticking up for him. Right. But what I'm saying is the government story, once again, just doesn't add up. Just doesn't add up. Yeah. If this guy was this this unbelievable informant that gave up so much. I mean, compare him, Billy, to Sammy Gravano. What Sammy Gravano gave up compared to Whitey Bulger. Right. Because I can't I, tell. Just give me one name, a, a big name that's sitting in jail because of Whitey Bulger. Right. Well, I can't, there's none. Right. And, and uh, you know. Gravano essentially took down the entire the Gavino family. Yeah. So, I mean, I just don't get it, Billy. And I don't, you know, and, and you know, then when I heard this juror talk and, and you, you know, she talked about, and we talked to Lisa Pease about MK Ultra. We know how brutal that was. Right. And, you know, and, 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 and they were and doing also, this in prisons. Go ahead. And don't forget, as Lisa said, there's more than one mind control. It's not just. There MK. is. Yes. There's many programs. It wasn't just that one. Right. You know, but it's just, you know, and, and you know, I, I ask everybody, you know, that's listening to this to, to go read that that interview. Her name's Janet Ular, U H L A R. And she talked about, you know, all the stuff that Bulger told her in the hallucinations and in the violent dreams he had and the the massive headaches and the, the fact that, you know, when he got out. The rest of his life, he could never sleep more than like an hour or two. Mm -hmm. He'd get up and and he'd never be able to get a steady like seven eight hours sleep. And and you know and, and again, it's not excusing anything he did, but it goes. It's like the Manson thing, Billy. Yeah, you know, was Manson part of MK Ultra and then weaponized as part of Operation Chaos? I mean, was Bulger used as an asset? And again, Bulger. If you look at Whitey Bulger, he, he's very similar to somebody like Johnny Rotzelli or Santo Traficante, somebody that, that has a lot of different connections. Traficante had connections in Cuba, and Roselli had connections, you know, from Chicago to Hollywood to, to um, Vegas. I mean, guys like that are useful to, to, to the government, you know, to intelligence agencies, whether it's the FBI or the CIA. Sure. So... I think there's a lot to that, Billy, and the the patriarchy thing is a big big red flag for me, big red flag because you know you read these files and they downplay the relationship. The FBI downplays the relationship between patriarch and Bulger, and when you read the other law enforcement files, you see that it's the opposite that they were extremely close mm -hmm. and they were partners in a lot of different things in in. Why in the world would that not be useful to the FBI if your number one goal is to use this guy as a foreman to take down public enemy number one, which is Cosa Nostra? 
and here your number one target, you have an informant sitting right next to him, and you don't use him? I mean, come on, Billy. No, it doesn't make sense at all. But clearly, the relationship with Connolly was not, you know, it was not two-way. No, it, was, it, it wasn't. It was, he was, you know, he was providing Whitey with information, and and it wasn't happening the other way around. So, no, and clearly, you know, this is why Connolly's in prison. I mean, he I, was... He was telling him, he was telling Bulger, you know, the, the people naming the people that were informing on Bulger to other law enforcement agencies. Right. And those people would end up dead. So, yeah, clearly there was a relationship. But, you know, uh, just a, a couple points to take away. You know, Patriarcha was another mob boss, Billy. One of these guys that kind of went under the radar, mm-hmm. kind of like Buffalino and Ocardo that – a lot of times you don't hear when you talk about, you know, most powerful bosses in the country. Uh, but he was extremely powerful and he ran Providence, Rhode Island. But I don't know yeah. if you were ever in Providence. Were you ever in Providence? I don't believe so. No. Federal the Federal Hill section of Providence. Great, great Italian food up there. But but he ran that neighborhood, Billy. Yeah. And he, you know, he was so powerful there. And and he, you know, he was the number one. Cole's an Oster figure in New England. There's no doubt about that for years. I love that line from uh, <clears throat> The Departed when uh, Nicholson says, he says, they just don't stop having the mafia in Providence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's such a great movie. It really is a great movie. And that's not, I mean, that's loosely based. Loosely on- based on Bulger, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, but it's still a good it's still a great movie. Yeah. But an interesting it's- thing another interesting thing about Patriarcha Billy is there's been there's been people that um you know different authors and stuff that linked him to the Castro hits. You know mm-hmm. that that yeah, his name and Buffalino's name have been linked to the Castro hits along with Roselli, Giancana, Trafficanti. But they the thing is they also did that with Carlos Marcello. And yeah. I've never seen, like, in the files that I read, I've never seen anybody's name except for Rozzelli, uh, Trafficanti, and Giancana. But I just want to say that it is out there that, that you know, Patriarcha was linked to those. And the one thing is, Patriarcha did have a vested interest in the casinos in Havana. So, he you know, he did have money on the streets in Cuba there. Seems so, like all the... All the Cosa Nostra guys did. Well, most of the bosses did. Yeah, yeah. most of the most of the bosses, um, you know, the, the 26 families, most of them had, you know, a lot of money on there. And, then, mm-hmm. you know, they, they had a reason to get Castro out of there. But, yeah. you know, that's just a lot of interesting things, Billy. And, again, this is a theory that I put out there, and, and people could uh, believe what they want because, you know, we just had a question the other day, Bill, on a question episode about this. You know, when I said mentioned this on, on Bruce the Torres' show, you know, I got some pushback on it. You know, and they, but yeah. again, the the question, the person that that said that, you know, Bulger had um, informed on the the mafia ceremony, the initiation ceremony. That's not true. That's not true. He didn't right. give up that information. So there's a lot of there's a lot of garbage out there. And again, that goes to the media. The media spread a lot of this stuff, Billy. You know, and I've heard I've heard a lot of you know media people they they say Whitey Bulger's one of the biggest rats and this and that and say this stuff. Well, who did he inform on? I mean, just tell me who he informed on, and don't tell me a couple low level street dealers. Mm-hmm. You know, what big fish did he inform on? Because if you're protecting a guy for thirty years, and he's committing a mountain of murders. Yeah, he better be giving up somebody pretty big, Billy. Mm-hmm. And he didn't give up anybody big. Yeah. So. And then we told us we told the whole story in the other in the other episode about his being him being a fugitive and his capture right. and everything. Right? Yeah. 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 We talked about that. You know. So if you want to. Yeah. If you want to <clears throat> listen to that, I, I can't remember when we had that episode, but it was. We had a couple episodes on Whitey Billy. We we yeah. talked about him, and and you know he's definitely an interesting figure. And I said it before. I I think him 
Al Capone and John Gotti are three biggest figures in, in organized crime and, you know, in, in U.S. history. I mean, there's certainly other guys you could put in there, but right. I think those are the three most prominent names. And it's just, I would you know, agree. I would agree. Hard, hard to, you know, I mean, publicly anyway, it's hard to think of any, any names that are more prominent than those guys. And two of the three, Capone and, and Gotti, were, weren't really boss very long. No, they weren't. That's the difference between them. Yeah. Um, you know, Gotti was only boss like five, six years. Capone was only boss like seven, maybe eight yeah. at the most. And Bulger, you know, was, was boss for 30 years. And why was he boss longer than them other guys, Billy? Because he had a he huge protected. gorilla protecting him. Yeah. And that's the FBI. Right. You know, because as smart as Bulger was, and as cunning as he was, um, with all the law enforcement agencies that were after him, and believe me, everybody not named the FBI was after Whitey Bulger. He wouldn't have been on the street very long if the FBI didn't protect him. Right. Because those guys in the Massachusetts State Police, they do a hell of a job. And those those guys, you know, you listen to some of their stories. There's a guy, Foley, was one of them. And that one of the guys was an uh, advisor for the departed, Billy. I think it was Foley. It might have been Foley. But uh, those guys were after him, and they they did a great – there's some unbelievable investigations that they had. And they they had Bulger dead to rights a lot of times, and the FBI stepped in to help him. You know, and, and I, you, that Mike Huff, too, in Oklahoma, he's a tremendous detective. And he had a great investigation on Bulger. And Rhode Island in law enforcement, you know, they, they had a lot of links between Patriarch and Bulger. And the FBI just stepped in and squashed it. Yeah. So he wouldn't have been on the streets very long if the FBI didn't protect him. Cause there's too many law enforcement agencies that realized this guy, this guy is bad news and we got to get him off the streets. So that's about all I have, Billy. What are you, uh, whatever happened to Billy Bulger? Billy Bulger is still alive. Um, he retired. He, um, he had to resign as he was president of the University of Massachusetts. And I believe when all this came out, he, he had to resign. Was, um, there, was there ever a link between him and his brother? Anything? Well, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, investigations down that road and stuff, but nothing that could ever link him as far as putting him away. I mean, yeah. he never, Billy Bulger never did any time. He was never arrested. Um, you, there was, of course, a lot of rumors and, uh, you know, that he was linked to his brother and, and there was a lot of law enforcement officials that felt that he was helping Whitey when he was a fugitive. Right. You know, and, um, I mean, do you think he had influence in the FBI? I think he had influence everywhere, Billy. He had definitely influence in the FBI because he was the mentor to John Conley. Oh, well, there yeah, you go. They went to, to, he, they grew up. They all grew up together, Billy. So yeah. Billy Bulger, Whitey, and and John Conley grew up in the same housing projects in Boston, and uh, you know, Whitey protected Conley when he was a kid, and bullies were picking on him in a, a playground, and Whitey came out of nowhere and fought them off, and it's like a legendary story. But uh, the closer relationship was really between Conley and Billy. Billy's the one that took uh, Conley under his wing. Made sure he went to college. I believe he went to Boston College, and um, you know, um, encouraged him to go into the FBI. So the relationship was really strong between those two, and that's the reason why, you know, a relationship developed between Conley and Bulger or Whitey it was because of Billy. It was through Billy. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, Bo Billy, like I said, he had you know he had George Bush is here. Sure. Billy. Powerful. Yeah. I mean, he had powerful, and he was a very powerful. He was state senate president, Billy, for years. Yeah, you know, and so the word on the street was up there is you know Billy runs the politics and Whitey runs the streets, mm. and that's that's the way you know they had a lot of influence over everything. Yeah, you know. So again, if you're you know a government agency, Whitey's extremely valuable because he has that tie to his brother. Right. Right. Oh, a lot of corruption. Well, uh, it, it's I think it's the worst scandal in, in FBI history, Billy. Yeah. When yep. you think about it. I mean, and again, 
you have to ask yourself, Billy, did it really stop at John Conley? Does anybody sit here and actually think that all of this corruption for 30 years stopped at John Conley? Like nobody, nobody in the FBI seen anything, any funny business going on with Conley for all these years. Right. right. And they just, they just let it happen. Like, I find that very hard to believe, Billy. Very hard to believe. Well, tell you what, this is, uh, it's fascinating. And, you know, no wonder there's been so many movies and books and, uh, you know, documentaries about uh, about Whitey and this whole, whole and situation. And you have to ask yourself a question at the end, Billy. Whitey's talking to his juror, right? He's telling his juror about MK Ultra. He's telling him about you know different things. Was somebody worried about Whitey telling them you know that the relationship with the FBI went above John Conley? You know, yeah. and this is why he was transferred to general population. You got to go down that road and ask that question. You never know, right? It's a legitimate question. Sure. You know? Yep. So. Yeah, a lot of anytime you you talk about Whitey Bulger, he's a fascinating character, but but there's no doubt that you know he's an evil guy. There's no doubt about that. All right, Sean. Well, anything else before we wrap up? No, I think we covered everything I wanted to. You know, I just uh, ask our listeners to go out there, read about the juror, you know, and find out some of this other stuff, and and you know, just. Uh, do do your own research and see, you know, give me some feedback, what you think of the theory. I know there's going to be a lot of pushback because I know, and it goes to like a lot of other stuff we do, Billy, when it's pounded in your head in the media, this guy's an informant, this guy's an informant. It's the same thing. Oswald is guilty, right. you know, and it's like people just, it's hard to get people to change their mind, but I'm just giving you the evidence. Yeah. I'm just saying you explain to me why they protected this guy, because I'm telling you what he gave yeah. them is, is garbage. Does it, doesn't doesn't justify protecting a guy for 30 years with the amount of right. nonsense that he gave them. Yeah. So there has to be agree. another reason. They didn't do it because he's a nice guy. We're going to help this guy. He seems like a good guy. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> All right, John. Well, this was All a great right, episode. Good, uh, good research. Well done. And uh, all right. So we will... Uh, we'll see everybody, or we'll, we'll uh, I don't know, we're not going to see you, but you you can hear us again next week. Maybe someday we'll maybe, we'll maybe it's get point, video, but uh, make sure you uh, rate, review, like, subscribe, all that stuff, all that fun stuff that's going to help us. And uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate all of your, your support. And, uh, you know, keep it coming right. because uh, we we want to keep this we want to keep this podcast going as long as we can. Yeah, and if you're in a position to help us, uh, anything Patreon, you can do is all that stuff. Yep. All right, Everything. Sean. Yep. That's enough for you. All right, Billy. All right. Good night. Good night, everybody. That's Enough Out of You podcast is executive produced and written by Bill Rader and Sean Kane and edited by Bill Rader. The That's Enough Out of You podcast and logo are exclusive property of Bags of Chicken, LLC. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or accounts of this podcast without the express written consent of Bags of Chicken, LLC is prohibited. So don't even try it. <laughs>